All right, we are back to podcast, and I hope everyone has had a good day. The Lord has blessed us in so many ways, and I am thankful. I uh, feel like we're kind of on the way back to a full recovery, I hope. Uh, we are um, at a better day today, of course, naturally, in church and preaching, and then uh, we're looking forward to uh, hopefully being back for Bible study on um, Wednesday night, that is the plan. If, uh, something, you know, if it doesn't happen or not possible for some reason, I'll get the word out, but I think we're back on track. First Corinthians chapter number three is a great chapter. First Corinthians three is a, <clears throat> it's a chapter that I've preached on lately, or preached out of lately, um, in dealing with churches and issues um, I've told you, first Corinth is a, it's a fascinating church. I've, I've said it on many occasions, you know, it's, there was so much potential in Corinth because there, you know, there was, there were intellectual people, there were smart, there was money. Um, but it was, it was a metropolis. It was, it was the New York of our day. It was, uh, it was L.A., probably more akin to New York, but, but L.A. too. I mean, any of the big cities, in fact, um, where life is much different. Like, it was things, things were like they are now. You would go into uh, the, the rural areas and the suburbs, and you'd find family life, family living. Um, uh, the gospel was, was easier to be uh, shared and taught and propagated in, in those places. But then occasionally you would see churches rise up in these in these metropolises and um, Corinth is, is one of those places. Um, of course it was a Greek city and um, with, with all of the workings, I mean you take uh, Roman belief, you take the Greek belief and you kind of intertwine them and you've got Corinth. Corinth was uh, a bastion of, of sexual immorality and impurity. Um, they worshiped many false gods. Um, they abused, you know, alcohol and uh, their bodies. It, it was much like you see in, in big cities today. Um, and so Paul uh, going, goes into Corinth and he establishes a church. Um, but what, what happens is, as he establishes the church, and remember, he, he wouldn't always, he wouldn't stay, he even move on and, and go and establish another church and then, and, and then continue to move forward. And he would come back, he'd get reports on these churches, and he would write to them if they needed anything that needed to be addressed. Well, Corinth had a lot to be addressed. Um, what had happened because there was so much potential and such a, a great population, a diverse population in this city, um, it was just being influxed by different philosophers and teachers, uh, not really preachers. And, and philosophy is big in, in, in with the Greek. You've heard Greek philosophy, huge. And so you were seeing elements of philosophy being being 
kind of littered and sprinkled into the gospel. And so it just become a mess. And what has happened is, is folks, different philosophers have went in uh, to this church and they have taken advantage of the people with great oratory skills. They have spoken with Paul or, or they've spoken against Paul. They have questioned Paul's uh, teaching ability. They have questioned his oratory. They have questioned his apostleship. Just, just basically seeking to completely discredit Paul um, to among the people, and so it began to cause divisions in the church, and and that's no different than what we see today. People will find somebody they like or don't like, and when they find somebody they don't like, they uh, seek to discredit them, and then they seek a contingency. Uh, to try to continue to, to do their work of discrediting them and, and in essence splitting churches and splintering churches and thirding churches, you know, completely down the middle. So we come to Corinth chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and Paul lowers the boom, if you please. Um, he, he, this is a tough message. This is tough preaching. You know, I, I know people, uh, they always use the phrase, step on my toes. Well, Paul, I guess Paul, you could say Paul did that in this chapter. Um, he, he starts out chapter three is calling them babes in Christ. In other words, they're babies. Um, I remember preaching on big old baby Baptist before, uh, people just acting like babies and you know, I, I do, I have been at this a while, and I love people, and I appreciate people, and I, I, you know, I want to minister to them with the Word of God. That's my call, is to minister to people with the Word of God, and I find it fascinating, though, how it doesn't matter the age of folks, maturity levels, no, no age. I've seen some of the most immature acting people in their 70s, in their 80s even. And I've seen some of the most mature acting people in their 20s. At the same time, I've, I've seen it vice versa. I've seen folks in their 70s and 80s that you could gain great wisdom from and, and folks in their 20s and 30s that needed to grow up. So maturity does not equate age. That's for sure. I've seen older people have hang-ups and get their feelings hurt and they hang on to things and not being able to let things go and be petty about things and just silly, silly stuff. You know, life's too short for that. Well, Paul starts this message out, this, this letter, this chapter, by calling them babes in Christ. He's saying, you may be older, you may be 50, 60, 70 years old, but in Christ you're acting like a baby. You're acting like a child. You know, when a child doesn't get their way, they pout. A child doesn't get their way, they, uh, they'll be very passive-aggressive. Passive-aggressive is, is, you know, try, is be, basically being subtle with your displeasure, throwing things out there, putting things on Facebook, letting things kind of be known, but not really be known. That's passive aggressiveness. Children can be like that. Um, it's, it's, seek, it's attention seeking. Uh, 
and um, I, if Paul Paul dealt with some folks in today's churches, that's what he would do. He would say, "You're you're extremely, extremely a baby in Christ." And so that's how he starts chapter three, verse number one. And I, brethren, cannot speak unto you as spiritual. He said, I can't even speak to you in a spiritual level. The reason he is, but is unto carnal. Carnal is fleshly. Carnal carnality means a lack of growth. And spiritual babies should develop into men and women that have spiritual maturity. He said, even as unto babes in Christ. So I'm having to speak to you as you are a babe in Christ. Verse 2, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, but hitherto you were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are you able. He said, I've had to bottle feed you in essence. You know, and there's a lot of people in a lot of Baptist churches that, um, churches that would say they believe and stand on the Bible that are getting bottle fed every week because that's all they can handle. You know, I... I Every message is geared to praise. Every message is geared to uh, salvation, and salvation is the instrumental thing. But once you get saved, you should grow and mature beyond, pardon this, just being saved and, and grow in grace and be filled with the Spirit and walk in the Spirit and have a level of spiritual spiritual maturity about you. Okay, so understand that, the growth and the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So Paul said, just like a baby, I've had to give you milk. I've had just to give you the milk of the Word, the very easy things to deal with, very easy things to talk about, because you couldn't handle meat. You weren't at the level where you could handle the meat of the Word of God, the deeper things, the things where you could really grasp and hold and you know that therein lies the answer a lot of times folks will come to me and they, they may be older they may be much older and say you know I've never heard this um, in this way and a lot of times you know it's not their fault it's, uh, let, me, let me say that it's not their fault a lot of times it's because preachers have never given anything but milk and there comes a time when you have to start escalating the message, escalating the preaching, escalating the teaching to a level where people can grow. Now, the, the, the issue with that is, is it takes study on the preacher's part. It takes effort on the preacher's part to study and to prepare and to feed folks meat and not milk and so not a lot of milk or meat being distributed in churches in our day and, and the biggest part of the reason of that is is I, I put it on the preacher's lap I think a lot of times people want meat, meat but uh, preacher comes to the pulpit with milk and uh, folks need meat to grow I like meat I'm, I'm, I'm old fashioned red blooded Man, I like meat. I like, you know, as a matter of fact, Paul said that folks that forbid you to eat meat and forbid you to marry were, had a doctrine of a devil. You know, be careful about all of that, that stuff. It's got its roots in New Ageism and cultism. And um, God give us meat, praise God, to eat. So 
He says here, for with me, for yet you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. Verse 3. Here's why. Here's why they can't have me. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you now, carnality. I preached this just the other week. Preachers and people, listen, habits of the flesh and, and living in the flesh and doing things in the flesh, you know, and we could, we all know our list. We all have our list and we can name them. And they are acts of the flesh, okay? But just to pick those things out, that's easy. That's easy picking. That's, you know, to, to pick on, uh, you know, or preach on these things that we do in our flesh and listing them out. It's good for youth groups, you know, to stay away from this and stay away from, you know, we could list a million things. But let's look at the Bible and what it calls carnal. Okay, let's see what the Bible calls carnal. Verse 3, for ye are yet carnal. The term carnal means fleshly. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you. So that means among you. In your midst, there is among you. Um, envying, that's jealousy. So there's jealousy among you. There's envying, there's strife and divisions. Are ye yet not carnal and walk as men? For a while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos. Are ye not carnal? You see, do you see that right there? Now, I'm gonna talk, I'm gonna talk a little bit about something, and, and it's called voting. Voting. There's a biblical way to handle things. And the biblical way to handle things is typically among an open congregational rule. If there is something that needs to happen with the church, say a building project or say a, a preacher, a pastor, whatever, um, whatever the situation may be, the best way, the proper way, the biblical way to handle that is open discussion and and not just open discussion it being held for the entire church body not a group of selected people chosen that sounds like congress that sounds like senate that sounds like business operations and what has happened is the church has begun to conduct themselves like Congress and Senate and business operations with quote-unquote elected officials making decisions for the church. I'm here to tell you right now, and here's why people don't like congregational rule in the church, because it takes their little power structures away. It takes their little kingdoms away. The same reason nations don't like it for the most part. Here's, here's the reality. This church is carnal, split down the middle with divisions, envying, strife, bitterness, angriness, and, and Paul gets to the root of it and he says, here's where you're carnal. Some of you say I'm for Paul, 
some of you say I'm for Apollos. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like a modern day voting system in a church. Half like this guy, half like that guy. Or some like this guy and some like that guy. Paul said that's carnal. That's carnal. That's carnal. So when churches choose and to operate that way, God says that's carnal. That's a carnal way of operating. Now I'm telling you what the Bible says. I'm giving you the Bible word for word. All right, let's go on. For why, for why one saith I am a Paul and another I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? He said, Paul and Apollos, he is Paul, by the way. They're ministers. They're just ministers of the gospel. He says, here's the reality. Verse 6, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. He says, this thing ought to be about God. You know, it's not about this preacher getting these souls. Here's the thing. I have preached, and, you know, I've preached an evangelistic style message in an evangelism-geared service, trying to win the lost, and not see anybody move hours later get a call from a preacher or a day or two or a week later get a call from a preacher so and so got saved just want to tell you that and he got under conviction in that service you preached what what was that I planted the seed somebody else came along and watered it God gave the increase on the same token I've preached I've seen folks come to the altar get saved where somebody had already been working on them. Somebody had already been planting the seed. Somebody had already been making the effort. So they planted, I watered, then God gave the increase. So do you see that? You see that God has folks along the way planting and watering, but the key is he giving the increase. Why is it that he give the increase? So that he get the glory. I don't want the glory. I certainly hope no other preacher wants the glory. God should get the glory. He says, verse 7, So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God get, that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Now, verse 8, let's, let's talk about this for a minute. Um, this is speaking of rewards for our service, our Christian service. You see, salvation isn't a reward, folks. Christians can do nothing to deserve salvation. It is the gift of God, according to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. But after a Christian is saved, by accepting God's free gift, his heavenly Father longs to give him further blessings and to promise him certain rewards for faithful service. And you'll see this in Matthew, throughout Matthew, 1 Corinthians here, uh, Philippians, Colossians. I mean, throughout the New Testament, we call them crowns. We'll probably deal with We need to deal with that. Maybe uh, this, this coming Wednesday night, just as a continuation of this message and this morning's message. The crowns for service. I think that'd be a good study. And so... 
Look at this. Verse, verse number 8. Now, he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. So salvation not being the reward, the fact that we get reward as a result of our labor. Verse 9. For we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. And husbandry, um, a husbandman would be one that is overseeing a, a vineyard or a garden. And so being the husbandry, God's husbandry, God is in charge of us and he is uh, our our worker. In other words, he works in us. He works in our field and in our gardens to make us and to produce in us what he desires. And so you are God's building. So God is building in us and and with us and through us. According to the grace of God, of verse number, we'll get to verse 12 and I'll talk about that. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid which is Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is the foundation. We can't lay any other foundation other than that. It starts with Jesus. And from there, God begins to put folks in our path to continue that building process. Verse 12, Now if any man build upon this foundation gold and silver and precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. So these are building materials. Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble are the materials from which Christians can build. The first three are good because why? They will stand the test of fire. First, next three, they'll burn right up through fire. So I've talked about this recently. The, the latter three is, is, are bad because fire will destroy them. And this is anything that is unworthy service performed with selfish or improper motives or grudgingly, uh, this person will suffer loss. Here's what I mean. You you go and you, you want to feed someone. You want to witness. Witness. Let's talk about witness. Let's talk about witness. You want to witness to someone. You want to witness to them because you genuinely care about their soul. You care about their life. You care about their future. You care about them as a person. And you want to see them saved, and you want to see Jesus do something with their, with their lives to strengthen them. That's your heart. And you make every effort, and you witness. And whether they ever get saved or not, you've done it from a motive of complete care about that individual and complete care about the cause of Jesus Christ. Or you go and witness to the same individual for the purpose of how you feel to make you feel better. You witness to that individual for the sole purpose of putting it on social media so it'll make a good post so everybody know what a good person you are. You go and do something for this individual uh, so you could hold it over their head and tell them all the good things you've done for them. I've got news for you. Every bit of that 
is going to burn up at the judgment seat of Christ because the motive was wrong. The only one of those motives that will stand the test of the fire at the judgment seat of Christ is that motive that was from, from your heart to genuinely want better for them and it had nothing to do with you. Nothing to do with you whatsoever. That's what will stand the test of the judgment seat of Christ. So we see here, um, verse number 12, 13, Every man's work shall be made. So verse 12, Now if any man build upon this foundation gold and silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. So that means made obvious. It means made uh, in the, the open. It means to, to be seen. Um, what was hid shall be made manifest. So every man's work, there, there is a, there is an illusion here. It's not completely clear, but an illusion that tells us that, that our motive will be projected to everyone at the judgment seat. Everyone will find out our motives then. Did we do what we did for the sake of men or the, the, the applause of men or what men would think about us? Or did we do it for the applause and the appreciation of Jesus Christ? So verse 13, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work. Do you remember his eyes are as a flame of fire? In, in Revelation chapter 1, <clears throat> his eyes will be able to see through every motive. Um, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. So the person, the soul is saved. You are saved, but you've got no reward as a result because your motives were bad. You never grew in grace. You never were filled with the Spirit to the degree that what you did, you did for the love of Jesus. And so it all burned up at the judgment seat of Christ. Verse 16, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God? Ye are the temple of God. That's our bodies. Our bodies are now the temple of God. And that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. God's Spirit lives in us. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. So just remember that. Our bodies are now the temples of God that the Spirit of God dwells in. So let that check our thoughts. Let that check our motives. Let that check our decisions. Let that check on what enters our minds and comes out of our mouths. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool, that ye may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Therefore, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours. 
whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. And ye are Christ, and Christ is God's. All right. That is 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. The title is From Milk to Meat. So Paul started them out with milk in this chapter, but by the time he's finished, he takes them to a place of meat. He checks their motives. He checks their hearts. He finds out what they're building upon and why they're building. So we go from milk to meat. There comes a time when it's not good enough anymore to just be saved. I'm glad I'm saved. I'm glad I'm a child of God. But there comes a time when it's not good enough to just be saved, but that we grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And our motives are proper. Our our actions are proper in alignment with our motives. That's the goal and the key of obtaining rewards and building thereupon. All right, this has been podcast, 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. And then the the next podcast will go into 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I hope you all have a great week. Pray for one another and love each one of you. Good afternoon, good night, God bless.